You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to sit down with Nick Bennett, Director of Evangelism and Customer Marketing at Alice. He shared how he drove 83 reviews in one quarter to their G2 page, which helped drive new clients and increase retention. Besides that, you'll learn how he used product feedback to improve customer experience, experiments they're trying to boost social proof from these G2 reviews, how he bucketed reviews to find out specific use cases of the product, and a ton more. Basically, if you have a G2 page for your product, you're going to want to listen to this to get tons of ideas on how you can better be using it to increase customers, build trust, and impact other parts of your company. I hope you enjoy it. Nick, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. I was saying to you, uh, you know, off mic that I see you like a thousand times a day uh, on LinkedIn, like a hundred thousand other people. Um, so I feel like I know you. I like know your avatar, but it's really cool to like finally meet you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I've been a fan of yours for a while as well. I think normally we start with like, give us 30 seconds about your company. But before we do that, uh, well, yeah, let's start there, but I want to talk about your new role then too. So can you give like, what's like the elevator pitch for Alice for those who, who don't know and didn't listen to Pete's episode? Yeah, absolutely. So Alice, we're a B2B gifting platform, but the goal is to make outbound marketing better. So like, you know, think of gifting as a nice to have. It's, you know, it's, it's out there, but like when you make it as part of an amplifier to your other outbound channels in your marketing strategy, it's a must have. And I think that's how people need to think about it. An amplifier to all the other channels that you're running to make gifting and direct mail successful. And you all just did, um, Pete was telling me, uh, when I had chatted with him back, like you had just gone through a big, um, a big messaging update, right? Like around outbound love. And there's like this whole, it's really cool to kind of like watch from afar the marketing you guys are doing now. Yeah, it was, it was something where, you know, it was really fun to, to work on because I've been using gifting platforms for like seven years now. I was actually a previous Alice customer, uh, which is how I got to, to know the team quite well. And it was, you know, it's, I feel like, especially in a down market, it's like, you know, gifting could be one of the first things that might go. It's not a necessity, like a a marketing automation platform or something like that. But when you tell that message of it being an amplifier versus a silver bullet, I think people connect the dots a little bit more and they're like, ah, okay, I see how I can use this for across the entire buyer's journey. I like the word amplifier and it, it leaves like more resonance. It feels like there's like resonance that gifting leaves that it like lingers. Yeah. It's, it's all about being personal, relevant, and thoughtful. It's like, you know, anyone, I could send you a gift card all day and like, yeah, you might like to go buy something at Amazon, but like, if I can understand you as an individual, as a human and like what you're passionate about outside of work, like, I feel like that's when you deepen those relationships and like, it takes it to a whole new level. For sure. For sure. All right. So give like the quick rundown of you. You recently got to craft a pretty cool role um, at Alice. I know you like teased it for a while, then you kind of unveiled it on, on LinkedIn. So you are director of evangelism and customer marketing. So unpack what that kind of means that you do now at Alice. Yeah. So, you know, obviously retention is a big, big chunk of it. And I feel like for me, 
executives have always had that evangelism role. Like you think of like a Chris Walker or something like that, or Ethan Butte, like they, they're, you know, you're an executive, you should be an evangelist of the company. However, what does it look like for non-executives and more so even ICs to pave the path that are content creators that can drive a lot of actual revenue and pipeline for the company through the content that they create? And I feel like that's really what I wanted to do. And how do you blend those two roles together? Because I feel like they're, they're kind of parallel to a certain extent, like, you know, you're creating advocates and loyal customers and you're evangelizing on behalf of the product. And ultimately you're all doing the same thing to drive more business and more expansion. Yeah. 100%. Are you, are you planning to, I don't know if you're already doing this, but are you planning to, uh, basically champion this primarily for Alice or are you looking at eventually developing this into like a program that other employ like I don't know whether you'd call it like training material or or like give them encouragement or the nudge for other employees to do it but are you thinking about expanding it out to others or is this primarily like you'll kind of serve as one of like the the brand ambassadors and evangelists for the company yeah, so I, I think it is something that you're going to start to see more and more, actually. Like, I think of people like, you know, Jen Allen, Nick Capozzi, like, you, you, you're seeing more and more people start to get these types of roles um, that blend, like, evangelism, advocacy, loyalty, like, like storytelling all together. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, people were using the term ABM for so long and it's like, you know, people think it could be a buzzword or is it a methodology? Like, and I feel like the whole creator economy and how B2B companies leverage those types of people, plus the whole influencer marketing category. Um, I think you're going to see a huge, huge shift in 2023 as we move towards that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I, th I feel like you are kind of blazing the trail for a role like this and, and for people to you know begin to follow this methodology. I think, like you said, a lot of times you do expect it to be like the Chris Walker, like the CEO or the founder of the company. Um, but the reality is there's a lot of founders that are more technically minded. They're not necessarily like great at copywriting or great at even like communicating most effectively like what you know what they do um so it's not like there's not room for for growth but it's cool to see these other roles developing um so let we're today we're going to be talking about uh how you drove g2 reviews and kind of how that impacted nps score and and impacted retention uh ultimately before we get there can you talk through in your role what are some of the uh, other metrics besides like G2 reviews and MPS score, what are some of the other things that are important to you to look at? Yeah, I, th I think it's important. And so I, I guess I kind of want to take a step back. So I am brand new to customer marketing. Like I am a traditional field marketer, ABM marketer that's always been focused on acquisition. And so taking the step towards retention, it's it's kind of refreshing because it's it's you know it's something I've never done before and there's a lot that I can still learn and the community that I have been a part of of a bunch of them like they've been super receptive in in giving me information on how to be a better customer marketer um, but I really try to break it down on like how can customer marketing support retention and time to value which for us is very very important because you know we're a SaaS platform 12 month contract 
if someone's taking, you know, two to three months to see any value and, you know, you only have what, 10 months left of the contract and then you've got renewals kicking in, like say 180 days before. And it's like, all right, you know, where can you actually see the value here? So we're trying to get the time to value way, way down. That's like been not only just my goal, but like as a company wide goal. And so we're breaking it down on five ways that I think you can make an impact right now. And so the first thing is internal enablement. I feel like it's such an underrated thing, but how do we enable and educate the CSMs to be better equipped on these calls with, with customers? The second piece is for new customers, how can we reduce the time to value to maximize adoption? So like, how can we get people to understand we want to help you send the first 20 gifts. Like what can we do to actually get you there so that you're out there using the first kind of, uh, you know, gifting platform. And especially if you've never done it before. Right. And the third piece is like all customers. So like, how do you increase use case adoption? So for me, inspiring and educating customers on how to use gifting and creative ideas. I jump on a lot of customer calls and like, a lot of them will say, I want to use gifting for ABM. And I'll say, great, what's your ABM strategy? And we'll dive into that. Or they'll say, I want to use you know, gifting across the entire buyer's journey. And so we just strategize. And I think having a marketer that understands the pain points because they've been in their exact shoes for years absolutely helps with the the inspiration and like the education aspect of it. And then the other two is like, all right, at risk. So how can you identify customers that are at, at risk and how can you run proactive outreach there? Something that I've been doing is jumping on a lot of calls, marketer to marketer, no CSM, no salespeople, no nothing. It's just us two. And we just talk about ways to better use the product. And I, I will literally handhold them to get them to better understand because lots of times they don't get that and they may not be familiar with it. And then the last one is high performing customers. Like how can you actually turn these people into advocates for you and not only turn them into advocates, but identify them. And I feel like, you know, we all have those high performing customers and you want to just use them as much as possible, but you got to spread the love around. You got to be able to say like, all right, we don't need you to jump on 30 reference calls this month, but like, you know, what can we use you for customer stories and social proof and things like that events? Um, and so we're just really trying to focus on where we feel like we can make the biggest impact right away. And for me, jumping into the, these five things versus trying to tackle everything all together again, as a team of one, um, this has been helpful to break it down. Yeah, this is really, um, this is awesome. So like, would you put this all under the banner of time to value? Like th these are kind of like all the, the five tiers of this or that drive that metric. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, it also supports the retention. It supports the NPS. Like it supports like the NRR as well. And it's like, you know, it's funny because I'm so used to like MQAs and like on the acquisition side, it's completely different, like the terms that you use and, and things like that. So it's been uh, it's been fun to try to like learn all these new acronyms as well. Yeah, it, there's something really beautiful. I think about like you said for like the identifying the at risk uh, clients and then even like jumping on without even without there needing to be like a fancy structure for it. Like, hey, I know. I've done their role. I can help them use this product better and just getting on and just sort of chatting like, you know, Hey, where are you stuck? Like, you know, did you send your first 20 yet? Like, how do you need help with anything? Like, can I help with strategy? Like there's something just really, um, 
I guess, you know, like people talk about doing things that are unscalable a lot, but it seems like a really powerful way for you to continue to understand, like, how do you get better at identifying at-risk customers? What does at-risk mean? Like, why are they stuck? You know, and I'm sure this is, is this driving, like, when you come away with these insights, talking with these people and kind of holding their hand, even in coaching, um, is it driving like inspiration for content that you share with the rest of the team, like educational content and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, we've been, we've been turning out a ton of content lately and we actually, I believe in the next couple of days, we're going to be releasing a brand new outbound love playbook. So like, how do you actually step-by-step step do this? And, um, I've, I've, I've been reading it in like the early drafts of it. It's absolutely phenomenal for not only any marketing team, but any sales team out there and customer success team. So we're trying to, I hear all these things on calls. I talk to our CSMs and I say, all right, what are the challenges or questions that you're facing when you're on these calls? And then how can I basically take turn that into to content? And one, enable you, but also realize that these are questions that probably other customers have. How can we then, you know, do blog posts, do events around these, do all these other aspects? So it's like, all right, you know, you've got the content, you've got the you know, distribution plan. How do you basically maximize everything that's out there? Yeah, 100%. And this is a really holistic way to look at retention, I think, too. Like you're looking at um, you're looking at everything from, you know, like a, a lot of like SaaS or product-led growth companies think about like, yeah, reducing time to value. Like what are the things, uh, you know, what are, the, what are the common denominators that people are doing within the product who end up retaining for a long time? Let's get them to do those things quicker. A lot of people talk about that, but yeah, then there's this whole other, like I said, like unscalable side of like getting on the phone and saying like, Hey, we noticed you haven't, you know, sent any gifts yet or whatever, like, and getting on there. And then, and then on the flip side, I love the idea of identifying like the best users, um, of your product and saying, you know, how can we get them to advocate for us more? And for this, is this like, um, is, is this like referrals? Is this like giving you a shout out or does this lead into G2 reviews? Like, how are you thinking about, about getting advocates out of it? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a mixture of everything. We do a lot of our own hosted events. We don't do many sponsored trade shows type things. We do a very, very, very minimal. But we do run a lot of like virtual and we're starting to get back to possibly in-person like smaller events. And we utilize a lot of our, you know, basically top performing customers to one, be at these events, talk about their successes, talk about how we can help other customers and also help on the acquisition side, which I think is is interesting because I'm going through a, a process right now where I am re redoing all of our customer stories. And so we're bringing new customer stories on. But I feel like as a marketer, when you read a case study, it's usually very fluffy. And I feel like I wanted to get super tactical with what these stories can actually provide. And so we're actually going through step by step, how do you achieve these types of ROIs? Kind of like we're doing with this podcast, like deep diving into the metrics. And we're capturing that and turning that into a story that we're going to use for social proof. We're going to use on retention. We're going to use on acquisition. We're going to use those types of people in the events that we do. Like it plays into a larger strategy. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Um, all right. So where walk me through like where did G2 reviews and the focus on them where did that originate like what 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 made them come onto your radar i mean in some ways it's obvious it's like saying oh we needed to grow mrr it's like well if your product's on g2 it helps to have reviews but yep. what can you walk me through some of the more 
details and like specifics of why did they come on your radar and what was the inflection point of like, hey, we really need to think about intentionally trying to drive to drive these up. Yeah, it, it's always been something where, you know, we're, we're a G2 customer, they actually use us as well. And so, we, you know, we, we, pay for, we pay for the service. And it's something where we were, we've always relied heavily on like the badges and the reports. And like, we put a lot of weight into those types of things. Because again, I feel like, I don't want to say prospects and customers jump to a G2 or any other review site right away, but it's part of the buying process. And I think it's important to have users that you can utilize and pull those nuggets from to be able to showcase all of these things. And so, you know, it was something when I took it over, we knew that every quarter, like, you know, the the fall rankings would be coming up or the summer rankings. And I was like, oh, crap, like I got to do, you know, uh, uh, the G2 push to drive more reviews. And so for us, it's it's actually quite easy because within the Alice product, um, users are given an NPS survey on a regular basis. And so I would say every quarter, we probably get about 250 to 400 people that fill out an NPS survey on, oh, wow. on our behalf. Yeah, it's a, it's a good chunk. And so I said, all right, great. So I went to our engineering team and I said, I need you to pull me all of the users that have given a G2 review in the last 90 days. I don't want any duplicates. I got the list. It was like 330 something for this, this past push. And I said, all right, I'm going to send out a Marketo email coming from me. Again, I'm hoping that it's a familiar face where they've maybe seen my content and that they'll think it's not spam or junk or anything like that. And then I was like, hey, you know, I, I just want to give you a gift, not a gift card, but I want to give you a gift in exchange for a review. Honest feedback, good or bad, I don't care. Like, honestly, I just want to know how we can improve the product or if you love the product, please tell me. And so I was like, I wonder if anyone's going to actually reply to this. And it's crazy the amount of people. So we ended up driving, it was like 83 reviews after like, we've been, we even got some like yesterday from this last put last push. Wow. So 83 reviews in like a couple weeks span. And they would, you know, they were all, for the most part, they were all like very high rankings. There was a few that were like, uh, like a lower ranking. And it was like, you know, Hey, I would love this part of the feature. But one thing that I did capture was all of the emails that I got. I said, if, if we can make the product better, please shoot me an email and let me know. And I got so many salespeople, marketing people, BDRs, SDRs, giving me emails of how they would like to improve the product to make their life easier, whether it's integrations, whether it's uh, ROI, metrics, things like that. And so I then took all of that and I gave it to our product team. And now they're, they're integrating a lot of that into the product roadmap, which again, you should be talking to your customers anyways to integrate that versus being like reactive and saying, oh, we got to go do this. Let's be proactive and build for what they want. Yeah, this is amazing. So what, what did you, what were you doing before you kind of like took this approach of like, uh, you know, pulling people who had left the G2. So you, you were essentially filtering people that you knew had done it before. They're probably willing to do it again. You're, you're weeding out any like duplicates. And then, like you said, there's this, there definitely like has to be this, uh, affinity like have with them seeing your content on LinkedIn and stuff. Like, I'm sure that's where like there's residual effects of your popularity on LinkedIn that you like, it's a different thing to get a message from you than just like Tom at Alice, like that they have like no idea who it is. Um, so that makes sense. Like how you approach that. What, what were you doing 
before this happened, like when did, were you doing anything intentionally to drive reviews or was this like a, a newer push that you did? It, it was a newer push. Like we always like the, the quarter before I, I jumped on it a little bit and I took a very different approach. I basically just went to our top customers and you know, if there was like 20 people on the sales team, I would just like reach out to that sales team and be like, Hey, you know, if you want to leave a review, I'll give you a gift in return. And instead of like going broader, I went very, like very narrow. And I said, all right, here's our top five customers. Let's just see what happens. And I think in the summer one, uh, we drove like 50 reviews for the quarter, which honestly was still pretty good considering like quarters before that, like we would get like maybe five to 10, maybe 15. So like anything was a huge improvement over what we've been doing. And then when we saw, you know, getting 83 and like, I think the goal, the goal was to only get to like 450 or something by the end of the year, we've already blown that number out of the water. Now the goal is to hit like 550 by the end of the year and also maintain like that 4.7 rating or higher. Um, which for us, it's, it's higher than all of our competitors. It shows that like, Hey, you know, look, it's not like we have 10 reviews. Like we've got, you know, 500 plus reviews and like, we can still hold this rating. Um, and so it's been really, really interesting. What I'm trying to do now is not wait to last minute to do like a push. Like I'm trying to automate it on a monthly basis. So I set a calendar invite for myself and I said, what I'm going to do is basically just each month pull people that left an NPS survey and just do the same thing just on a smaller scale, but each month and see if like laying it out over the course of a quarter will make any difference versus just waiting till that last minute. So was the, was the push, like was the filter of this push purely people that had left G2 reviews or was there a mixture of like people who had filled out an NPS score and left G2 reviews? Yeah, so I would say, you know, funny enough, the majority of the people from this last push of the 83 had actually never left us a G2 review before. Uh, they were all, they were either, new, you know, newer customers or we just didn't contact them before for whatever reason. Um, and so they had to leave an NPS survey. That was one thing they definitely had to do. But I didn't care as much if they left us a G2 review or not, because if they do leave a previous G2 review, it actually weighs it lower than a, a, a net new review. Oh, okay. So you were targeting net new. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted to see, and, and I, I think it's, I don't, I want to say semi risky because it's like, you know, Hey, like these people have never left a review. Like you never know what they're going to say. Right. But again, like honest feedback, like fine. If you want to say you hate the product, that's, that's cool. Like what can we do to be better? But when I saw all these tens and nines and everything coming in and like, basically all these people saying how much it changes their life in their daily flow. I was like, this is amazing. And I said, what can I do to capture this? And so what I actually did was I went through all of our reviews and I broke them into buckets. Are people using gifting for ABM, demand gen, events, customer success, to book meetings or other? And so I went through and I pulled specific snippets into an Excel sheet and then I shared that with the sales team because once it's a review, it's a public thing. It's fair game. You can use that however you want. And so now the sales team and the CS team has basically all these quotes at their, their full advantage in bucketing how people use the product. 
Oh, I love this idea. So, so effectively, like you crawled through all these reviews, you bucketed them. Like this didn't come out of the box, but you grouped like, oh, common, you know, common things they loved. Um, so, so on a sales call, the next person that wants to use it for ABM, let's say, or something, the per- the salesperson is equipped with like, oh, let me show you five companies and what they've said about the using us for ABM. Hundred percent, and I, I I know for a fact that's helped us close at least four new logos in the last week and a half. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love the I love the use case there. Does it also? Um, I don't know who owns the ICP at Alice or who's you know responsible primarily for setting that, but um, for for I would imagine it would be useful to help hone your ICP over time. Like I would think you would be able to you know, you could do the same thing with the lower reviews. Like you're obviously doing a, you have a great product. It's 4.7. You're not really manipulating that. So that's awesome. And then, you know, the ones that are leaving one star, two star, three stars, you know, however few they are, have you seen any, um, consistencies? Like, were you able to go back and look and be like, Oh, like we found these consistencies that if they like of all the three star and lower, they were trying to use it for this one use case, which we're not super strong at. We need to refine our ICP or communicate that messaging better on the website. Yeah, it was funny enough. I I did do that. And it was more so around like UX UI type things where like they wish it could do one thing. Or another thing that I came across a ton was they would say, I wish the product had XYZ feature. It turns out we did have it. They just weren't enabled on what that feature was. And so then I would just go to their CSM and be like, hey, here's what they're saying. And be like, we do have this. Obviously, you know it as well. And so like then they would go do trainings. And like now, hopefully, we've improved, you know, the not even the rating, but just improved them as a customer because it was a feature maybe they didn't know about or an integration that they didn't know about. Yeah, this is awesome. It's it's uh it's such a multi-tiered or like uh you know multi-use cases for it. Like it's the uh, it's the social proof which everyone thinks about. It's the first thing, oh, we want the badges. You know, we we want people to like look at us and see us higher rated and more reviewed than a competitor, you know, build social trust, come over and buy from us. But the use cases of refining the ICP, showing you where you need to improve product onboarding and like, Hey, how are they missing this feature? This is actually a thing we have. And like going back there and improving onboarding, uh, empowering salespeople to like have almost mini case studies, depending on use cases of like the people that they're talking to. Um, and then it's, then the fourth one you mentioned was like, uh, identifying, new content to like better serve them to. So this is really, um, this seems like so powerful. What, why do you think, why do you think, um, customers should be doing G2 reviews who aren't considering or businesses should be considering G2 reviews who maybe like they're running an MPS score at their company, but they're not like connecting it to G2. Like they're getting the feedback. Like they have all this effectively, but it's not on G2. Do you think there's like a big, a, a much more powerful reason for them to move to G2 and, and incorporate that? I think it's more so just, just the, the entire package, like, you know, the social proof, understanding your customers more and just everything that goes along with it. It's, you know, a lot of people do put stock and weight into G2 and like the quadrants and like, you know, grids that they put out. Same with like, you know, the magic quadrant. I used to work for an IT company. It was like, we would always wait for like the Forrester wave or like the magic quadrant. Like people would like, they would buy solely on the magic quadrant. And um, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of good review sites out there outside of G2. And I think that people, 
use it again as like part of their buying process. I think people are leveraging more of communities and pairs in that whole like, you know, dark social word of mouth type of thing. But I do think like people, I mean, we get inbound leads all the time from G2. I was like, hey, Sarah, are you on G2? Like love to set a meeting and learn more ASAP. And, uh, you know, we probably get, I would say, 20 to 25 a month just solely on G2. Do you have a rough idea of like how many, um, I've never like used it as like a paid platform. So I'm just curious to learn from you, like how many people, uh, what a rough, really rough breakdown would be between people that are organically finding the product, like looking for an outbound or gifting solution organically on G2, uh, and, and looking at, at a various solutions versus like, they've already found Alice and now they're going to go to your G2 to like review you and compare you. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I was actually I was just looking this up before this. So in the last six months, according to G2, so we've had um, just about 4300 views to the Alice like G2 page. Um, And so the direct mail automation has had about 36,000 viewers in the last six months to it. So a lot of people are checking these pages. And I feel like, you know, it's funny, like, I feel like the percent of direct mail automation visits that vis- visits Alice as part of that is like 12%. I mean, I don't think it's high. I think we could obviously do a lot higher. Um, but then I think it's like laying layering on the intent and things like that, which we tie, you know, six cents is, is, is what we use from, from an intent perspective. And I feel like we tie a lot of these into, to telling the, the larger story. Now you have a, um, you've got a good eye for brand. Your, your LinkedIn cover is dope. Um, so I'll ask you this. I was just curious, like, I, cause I've been thinking about this and the impact you can, you know, how like with, with brand social profiles, you know, like your brand, like, you know, the data box, Twitter account, for example, I've been really thinking through like, yeah, how do we make use of like the elements they give us besides just like the obvious one, which is like the profile, like the description, right? So like, do we use the header image, you know, when people are evaluating here to showcase the product and how it works or to like show some social proof and screenshot a tweet, you know, or how do we use the pin tweet and things like this? Like, to, cause there's a thousand ways you can use these other things. I'm just curious if you've, uh, since kind of like taking over the new role and focusing on, on driving G2, like, have you thought at all about like the presentation there, the branding efforts? Like, have you changed any of the descriptions over time? We, we've definitely, it's, it's more so it's part of like our, our, our sales deck and we put it on our website. Like we have a G2 page on our website where we not only do we showcase the badges and like social proof aspects of it, but I feel like what we've been trying to leverage on social is like screenshots of quotes, like these people that leave reviews, can I get them to actually record themselves doing a quick like 30 second video that we can then run through paid ads and seeing like, is the conversion rate higher? Um, And so we're trying a bunch of different things right now to see what works and what doesn't. But I feel like, I mean, you always see it and I'm sure you're going to start to see it over the next couple of weeks as well. Like now that the fall G2 rankings went live, you're going to see all these people post like videos. And each quarter we used to do like a incredible video of like the Alice Bird, like going to London or like doing all these like crazy things. I think the last one we did, he was in like a museum and like on the museum walls was all like of our badges. And it was like a super creative way to showcase all like the, the rankings that you did for the previous quarter. 
it's a lot of work that goes into that. So sure. we actually didn't do it uh, this past quarter and we, we may not do it this one, but we'll probably write some like blog posts or something around it um, and, and just do some social stuff. It feels like there's, it, you know, I'm, I have obviously like no data to back this up, but I, there seems like there's this gut sense that like with you focusing on it and emphasizing it like you did now, there's almost like once someone decides to invest, it's kind of like if a company hasn't done this for a while, it probably feels like ripping off the bandaid where it's like, well, we don't, but what if we do a push and it lowers our score because people are unhappy. So there needs to be this, you know, willingness to just sort of hear the good, the bad and the ugly and know that you're going to take it and improve like you, you're sincere in what you mean. And, but when you do that, it sounds like you have this ability right out the gate to like, now you've made a list of all these improvements to the product that you're going to make and you're listening to feedback. And, um, and, and then like, it seems like moving forward, then that feedback loop becomes easier. It seems like, you know, like the most risky is like right away. But then once you start listening, like you're only going to improve up into the right. If a brand's willing to do this and implement the feedback, you know, give it over to sales to, to increase uh, close times or, you know, improve retention by, by looking at these things and improving product onboarding. So it feels like maybe the beginning seems to be a little bit harder and riskier for businesses that haven't really thought about leveraging this channel. But then over time, it seems like there's this feedback loop that's just going to force you to get better because you care about it and it's going to impact all these other areas of your business. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think it's, you know, it's something where you still have to have a good product for people to one, like enjoy using it, but also like review it. Like people's people aren't going to go on a review site and just be like, Oh, your product's great. Like, like they're going to like, it's funny, like a lot of the reviews get like pretty deep into like exact use case of how they're using it. What are the benefits that they saw? Um, and then the people that like, hey, these are things that you can work on. It's just been so easy to just turn that over to our product team and just like have them realize like, oh, yeah, this is something that we've been thinking about. We've talked to some customers, but it's good to see that more customers want it. Um, or is this something that we didn't even hear about from previous customers? So this is something we could put on our roadmap. Um, or is this is something that we have and you just need to do more enablement? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It almost seems like I'm thinking how a lot of companies now are investing in uh, SEO driven, like us versus them pages, like you know, they want to rank for these like competitor searches and things like that. Uh, but there's this, it's almost like G2 is that with a lot of competitors that you're, that if companies aren't focusing on this, they're kind of ignoring it. Like you can create these like self curated, like Alice versus whoever with the columns and the thing and like how you're different. But like, ultimately that's like, everyone knows that's going to be slightly skewed in your favor. Even if it's like a favorable way of presenting, even if you don't trash your competitors, it's like you're still going to cast your features in the best light. And G2 is is seen as this like objective uh, version of that that you need to be spending time on. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so I, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up soon. Um, you mentioned the number of reviews, 83 reviews this drove. Um, any, any other residual results that we didn't cover? I know we kind of talked about a lot. I think you said in the last six months, 727% uh, increase. Uh, in, in reviews compared to competitors. Was there anything else in addition to that that you saw that we didn't cover? 
It, it's it honestly drove a lot of new business on the acquisition side because what happens is you know people either see it on G two um, or other review sites or they're in a Slack community or they're on LinkedIn and they're asking their peers, hey, what do you use? And like you know, the more that we get the brand out there, and I feel like we've always had a good brand. Like people have always enjoyed the Alice brand, even like you know when I was a customer, like I just felt like they were a fun type of company to be around. Like they did cool stuff. And um, I feel like it's actually driven a lot of new business by focusing on what we were trying to do was like the retention. Like how do we get like the, the product to be better or like where can we focus on and retain the current customers we have? But like the residual side is like, hey, is it, this is actually driving new business by having all these reviews as well. Do you have any metrics you could share? I know we had, I mentioned to you, our CEO, Pete, uh, dropped a question about, about retention specifically. Have, have you, do you have any like percentages of increase in, in retention or any like numbers behind that, that you've seen this drive? It's, I feel like, I feel like retention's always a lagging indicator, to be honest with you. Um, and I feel like it's a little bit, it takes a little bit longer. Like this, we just did this push, uh, early September. I actually, it was like the end of August. I think it was. And we, I mean, we have seen a few of our larger customers already, uh, resign. Like we had some renewals that were coming up and I don't know if this played into it. They might've just loved us because they loved us. Um, but I do feel like that it's helping us and I don't know the exact percentage, but I feel like it's helping us close renewals quicker or I guess further out versus waiting till that last minute. And again, this could just be, it goes back to the outbound marketing strategy. This could just be an amplifier to all, everything else that we have. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, I do want to ask one more detailed question. I, I skipped earlier because I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who's like, okay, this is a great idea. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go talk to my team. I'm going to have them pull all the emails of people that left, you know, an MPS score, but no, but no G2 review. And then I want to email them like the methodology. They can follow what you just said and then look to implement the feedback in all these ways. Um, however, I think for the people that aren't Nick Bennett, uh, on LinkedIn who want to send this message, was there anything you think you did well? Like I, I'm just thinking, so I ignore so many company emails and I like, I know for like years ago, this, like you saw the pivot happen where it stopped being the brand account and it was like Tori from, you know, data box or like whatever. And it's like, and you know, that maybe worked for people for a while, but now it's like anything that comes from Asana, Calendly, like Zapier, like whatever, whatever it is we use. I'm just like, I, I don't have time for this. I don't care. What do you think it was? Was there anything you like would advise or, you know, give it as advice or a, a way that you approach the subject line or like the, the brevity of it? Or like, how did you think about making it a compelling email to actually get people to respond to? Yeah, I think it was partly the, the, the subject line and I'm trying to remember exactly what I used, but like, it was something like fun and playful. Um, and I was just like trying to get people to open it again. Like, I feel like if they're a customer of yours already and they see someone with an Alice email in the, in the subject line, like they might open it. Like, you know, we send like yesterday I sent, um, a, a product email out. And so we have this new feature called prospecting campaigns. And so I sent it out to our entire user base and, um, it was from our VP of CS. I, I wrote it for her, but like we had like a 60% open rate 
um, from that. And again, I think it's because like, you know, they're customers, they're users, like they see something and maybe the subject line was catchy that I used, but like, I feel like they're just like, Oh, you know, are they trying to tell me something? They're trying to give me new information versus like, you know, Hey, like this is just like another cold email that you're getting. So I feel like that's part of it. And then in the actual message itself, I kept it short and concise. I tried to make it playful. I tried to make it authentic, not just like a robot talking because I hate those types of things. Like if, if, if you read an email that you write and it sounds idiotic or like robotic in your mind, how do you think your customers or prospects are going to sound? And so I just try to make it as something and this is what I try to do in all my LinkedIn content is like try to make it as if like I'm authentic, that I'm coming across as someone that like, again, like you would want to go hang out with or like, you know, go grab a drink with or something like that. And I feel like that also played a big piece into it. Do you have a lot of freedom over writing that? Do you have like a, do you have like a brand guide that like the, everyone kind of sounds that way? Or do you, is, is this like the autonomy you have to be able to write something that might not for other companies like sound on brand for them? Yeah, it's honestly, I do have the autonomy. Like no, no one, like I probably could have written some like crazy stuff. And, like <laughs> no, no one even checked it to be honest with you. I was just like, all right, this is what I'm sending. Um, and I was just like, well, I was like, who knows this is coming from me. So if anything, it will hurt my name versus anyone else's. But um, yeah, I just sent it. And like, I feel like that's always been like, even our social media, like I feel like we try to be like, I don't want to say edgy, but like, you know, we don't, like we try to keep it like, you know, keep, try to keep it real, like try to deliver value and we're not trying to be stuffy or fluffy or anything like that. And, um, I feel like that's always been how the brand was. So it's not like anything different, but like, you know, if we were an IT or cybersecurity company, lots of what I use in like the content that I create definitely wouldn't fly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, th yeah, these are good tips. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on, sharing all this. I feel like there's so many good I love all the takeaways that you summarized around ways, not just to get, you know, more G2 reviews, but then ways to use them to impact all these other areas of the business. So I really appreciate, appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing these insights. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. This was a blast. I love talking about this stuff. Um, where can people, where do you want people to go to check out Alice and your podcast? Shout that out. Like what are, what are some places you want people to go? Yeah. You know, go, go check out Alice, Alice.com. If you want to check out the product yourself. I actually built a self-guided product tour uh, right on our homepage. It is gated right now, but it's, I'm just testing it out to see what the data is behind it, to be honest with you. But like, just go play with it. Check it out. Um, if you want to check out my podcast, which is called Rep Your Brand, uh, you can find it on Apple or Spotify. And it's, it's for B2B marketers that are basically looking to build an audience for themselves, create a personal brand, set themselves up for future success. So find there. And if you have any questions or just want to like connect, you know, marketer, marketer or whatever, like find me on LinkedIn, try to reply to, to all DMs that come my way. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.